0: Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Monash This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today's no exception. We have a great guest, but first, a quick chat about goal setting. Goal setting is one of the most important aspects to achieving anything in life. If you don't know where you're going, you might end up someplace else. I'd like to invite you to join me for three days on the Mexican Riviera for an intensive goal setting retreat so that you start your 2020 with energy, purpose, focus, and momentum. The annual goal-setting retreat will take place over the first weekend in December. Registration is now open. You can register directly at victorjm.com events. That's victorjm.com events. Or send an email to goals at victorjm.com. That's goals at victorjm.com. We are back here on The Weekend Edition. We interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today, we've got a great guest all the way from Ottawa, Canada, my good friend, Rich Danby. Welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Victor. Good to be here.
0: Rich, not all of our listeners know you. So why don't you take a moment and give a little bit of your backstory in terms of how you went from living the corporate life into the world of real estate investing?
1: Sure. Well, I've been in broadcasting for 15 years and uh, I was doing real estate kind of part-time, just taking the money I was earning from my salary and using it to buy real estate. And then over time, I just started to realize that I was potentially making more real estate money per year than I was through my job. And uh, as I was kind of flipping homes and, you know, buying properties and renovating them and refinancing, I just realized that the path to wealth was quicker if I just left my job and became a full-time real estate investor.
0: I love that. It's such a common story. You're working in a very expensive market. And what we're going to focus on today, I know that you've had a few challenges over the last year. And so first of all, thank you for being willing to share some of that. And for the listeners at home, the, today's episode is really about some of the lessons that have been learned in managing contractors and managing subcontractors. So without necessarily going through all the sort of details, why don't you give a little bit of what you went through this year and some of what you learned in how to manage contractors?
1: Sure. Well, managing contractors is always challenging. As a real estate investor, you kind of have two choices. You can either hire people to do the work for you and you be their boss, or you could subcontract it out to another company to do all the work. So I've done both. And as I decided to scale up and start a construction company, I thought it made more sense to subcontract out some of the work instead of being responsible for it all myself. So what I decided to do was I started to interview some people and try to find who would be a good fit to take on some of these contracts. Everything would have worked out great, except that the person I hired in this one particular case that you were referring to ethically wasn't in alignment. They were a really good talker. you know. Even though I vetted them, I still ended up in trouble with them because they just were not doing what it was they were supposed to be doing.
0: Yes, and I know how difficult that can be.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So, starting at the at the GC level and then we can work our way down and talk about the the individual subs. What were some of the major takeaways that you learned from this somewhat painful experience?
1: The biggest thing I learned when hiring a company to sub out the work to is do not let them control any of the funds. And what I did in this scenario is this particular individual had, you know, came to me and talked about all their experience and how they had a whole bookkeeping department set up and there was really nothing for me to do. So I figured, okay, you know what, I'll release the funds in phases. So, you know, where's the risk in that, right? So the mistake I made was when I handed them over the initial capital for six projects because I was producing contracts pretty quickly with through the clients that I know. I handed over that money and unfortunately that's where my biggest mistake took place so I gave them the money like about 25% of each job and collectively that added up to a lot of money and uh, unfortunately this person didn't have the intentions of actually fulfilling the contracts you know I wrote up the contract that guaranteed my profit so I figured you know, I'd be safe in this scenario because everything's in writing. It says, you know, I said to him, look, if we're going to split the profits on this and share in the profit, then I want to know that you're going to guarantee my profit because you are the person who's controlling the the schedule and you're also the person who's controlling the funds. So he said, okay, that's great. No problem. I'll do that. So all the paperwork was signed, non-compete was signed. All the proper documents were signed. I had all of it lined up and legally done, but The issue where I failed was I handed over the initial funds. And when I did that, I immediately bankrupted all of the projects and not even realizing it. And so what I did was I kept pressuring this person to open their books and share with me because that was part of the deal was, you know, before I release the next payment, you need to show me what you spend the money on so that I can verify these things. And that's when I started to get the initial pushback. So, Through all of that, the second mistake I made was that I went on vacation, and I thought everything seemed to be going smooth in the beginning, and this person had all the right answers, so I left on vacation and thought, okay, you know, seems like everything's going smoothly, and then uh, when I came back, I found out that um, I was bamboozled, and nothing that I thought was actually the truth uh, was the truth.
0: That must have been incredibly difficult, not just for you, but even for the clients, the folks who were depending on you at this point to deliver the completion of these projects that they you know they were looking for in their own homes,
1: yeah, and you know the ironic part of that is um, these people didn't sign a contract with the subcontractor, they signed a contract with me based on my reputation and based on my skill set and their trust in me, and so I knew that. I had to proceed anyway. Uh, the problem was I didn't have any of the money. The money was already in somebody else's hands and they didn't use it for what they were supposed to. So what I did at that point initially when I uncovered all of this, I called a lawyer and the lawyer said, don't pay anybody. You're not actually responsible. You need to stop making payments because everybody and the brother at that point had their hand out and they were looking for money. And I couldn't really confirm whether or not the contracts that he had with these people were legitimate or not. But everybody was like, you owe me money. You owe me money. You know, this wasn't paid. This wasn't paid. And so I wasn't quite sure what to do. So I called the lawyer and the lawyer said, no, you're not responsible. Those are not your bills. You hired him as a subcontractor. He's responsible to make those payments. And that may well be true. But unfortunately, if I didn't make those payments, then you know, these people would have put liens on the property for not being paid because this was the property that they worked on as either the plumber or the HVAC or the electrician or whatever it was. And I couldn't let that happen because a lot of these clients were either flipping or they were trying to add legal secondary suites and refinance. So I just bit the bullet and I just started writing the checks out of my own account. And so, you know, when you take the fact that all the money that I gave this person was gone over six jobs, and these were all fair-sized jobs. Like you know, adding a legal secondary suite and renovating the whole main floor. That's not that's not cheap to do, as you know. So at the end of it all, I just bit the bullet. I pulled up my sleeves and I worked for four months straight every day. And I just became uh, one of the trades guys myself. I was just in there every day managing it and trying to get it back on track and trying to win the clients back over or smooth them over as best I could under the circumstances. And, and for the most part, thankfully, I was able to do that, you know, but at the end, obviously, I just didn't focus on pursuing the person who did this to me. And I just decided to focus on only getting the jobs completed and delivering the product in which the clients paid for.
0: You know, this is the darker side of real estate that sometimes rears its ugly head. It's not talked about. It's not talked about publicly very often. And first of all, thank you for being willing to share it. It's something that every real estate investor, doesn't matter, large or small, everyone that I know who's successful in real estate has a story like this, or sometimes even more than one. And it's something that if you haven't encountered this at some point in your career, you probably will. What else did you learn from this?
1: there's a lot of lessons in that. Um, You know, what I realized is that uh, there are, if you want to be a criminal, hiding out in real estate investment is a really, really easy way to do it. What I learned was, that um, first of all, I don't have any friends that are criminals. So I didn't, I wasn't really familiar with the justice system in Canada and how it works. But, um, you know, I discovered I discovered this this is the unfortunate part and as I as I now know this I'm surprised it didn't happen to me earlier if you convince people to give you a deposit let's say 25% of the job 50% of the job and you know when you're in a market like Ottawa where there is a shortage of labor people are willing to do that they and I'm I'm an investor but I'm talking about regular people who are not in the real estate industry who just want to get you know they want to get their kitchen renovated or or they want to get a basement renovated or something like that when they go and get quotes if they even bother to get three quotes often they're looking for the cheapest quote and in that case if that happens you know they're they're willing to put up whatever the amount of money is that the contractor says if the contractor says i need 50 up front some people are willing to do that if they say i want 25 up front they're they're willing to do that as well and if the quote is lower um, they're they're definitely willing to to give that some serious thought, even if there are a few red flags that come with it. So what I realize in this scenario is if you 're a criminal and hopefully you don't have a lot of criminals listening to this or any for that matter, but um, this is the best industry to be in because if you go around quoting jobs and pretending that you 're you know an ethical contractor, most people are not checking the references properly they 're not doing their proper due diligence they end up going ahead with it anyway. So, you know, imagine if you know you're quoting hundred thousand dollar jobs and you know you quote ten of them and you get five of them and you know you're collecting twenty five thousand dollars for each one. Now now you have a hundred and twenty five thousand dollars in a very short period of time. The other part is getting references is really not that hard. And and this particular person the way that they got their references was that they gave a little bit, a little bit for free to somebody in exchange for a reference. So the person said, "Well, what? you're you're not going to charge me extra for that?" "No, no, no. Just give me a great referral." And so this person would do that on small jobs, and then I would call these references, and the references would say, "Oh, this guy's the best thing since sliced bread. He's absolutely amazing." But they feel they need to reciprocate the kindness because um, the contractor who I'm calling about had given them something for free, right? So references don't always check out either. And then the jail time, here's the ironic part. This guy's actually in jail now, and I'm not the one who put him there. He's ripped off so many people, and I uncovered it all, unfortunately too late. He's he's ripped off so many people that he's in jail right now serving an 18-month sentence. And I found out that he was eligible for parole after serving only one-third of his sentence and that he'll be released automatically after serving two-thirds of his sentence. So imagine the average person, you know, they work a job, maybe make, you know, $75,000 a year. It would take them almost their entire career to accumulate $500,000 in tax-free money through their hard work and effort. If you are in the construction industry and you have no conscience, that's the key part there, no conscience, you know, you could make $500,000 in a year by just collecting deposits and pretending to, you know, look the part. And and when you do go to jail, first of all, not everybody pursues. Uh, they don't pursue because they know that you're, they find out that you don't own anything. You're not worth anything. And they've already lost a ton of money. So they don't want to throw, you know, good money after bad. And these guys, they just get away with it and they keep doing it. And um, it's a very unfortunate thing. And And in my case, I feel fortunate in the sense that, you know, you can, you know, we were talking about this earlier today is like, you could drop me off on any street corner anywhere in the world. And I would figure out how to make money. So I'm okay. I'll be okay. And I had some net worth to start with. So, you know, it's not the end of the world. It's definitely a setback, but I'll, I'll be fine. But most people out there, they're vulnerable. It's just unfortunate like that guys like this exist.
0: Absolutely. It's a very painful story. It's a painful story to listen to, let alone to have, to have lived it firsthand. So again, thank you for, for sharing it. I think one of the things that you mentioned is important. A single isolated case of someone being ripped off, if you go to the police, they'll typically tell you, well, this is a civil matter. Right. But when there's a pattern, and then at that point, you can often convince the police that it's actually a criminal matter. And at that point, it gets taken out of your hands and the the criminal justice system takes over. Correct. Which it sounds like it did in this particular case.
1: Yeah, and it's funny there, there's so many people in the woodwork. They're encouraging me to push it and go further with it. You know, there's just so many victims and and when I started doing my research and uncovering a name, every name led to another name and You know, so then I'd call the next name and then they would tell me their story and then they would give me a name of somebody they knew. And it just kept going on and on to a point where I just said, I have to stop. I have to stop now and just focus on getting these jobs done. So, yeah, it's not a it's not a good situation for anybody to be in. And, um, yeah, that's great advice, Victor, about um, going to the police anyway. And, um, you know, I want to make sure that this guy stays in jail for a very long time. So for the
0: listeners at home, first of all, thank you, Rich, for sharing the story The key here is to perform due diligence, make sure that everything you do maintains tight control over the purse strings. Make sure that when you have subcontractors involved underneath the GC that there are lien waivers in place before the GC gets any money. Otherwise you have the risk of the subcontractors putting a lien on the property. There's a process here, the process that the lenders use when they're doing construction jobs, that exact same process is a process that you yourself should be using. And, uh, and if you miss those steps, if you cut those corners, you often pay a very steep price for it. So again, thank you, Rich. Rich, if uh, folks want to get in touch and they want to learn a little bit more, what's the best way?
1: Sure. Well, what they could do is they could send me an email at rich at rich Uh, what I'm doing now, Victor is I'm, I'm I've kind of stopped with the construction for now and just kind of put that on hold. And I'm just getting back to doing what it is that I've, I was doing before, which is investments. So I, I buy properties And then I match them up with investors. So basically, I'm a connector between opportunity and funds. If they want to discuss any of that, um, they can reach out to me and I'd be happy to share.
0: I love it. Well, thank you, Rich. And for the listeners at home, take Richard's advice. He's learned it the hard way. In the meantime, have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen. And we'll talk to you again tomorrow.